Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Seminary. This podcast is a variety of audio resources from around Southeastern. To learn more about Southeastern, visit scbts.edu. If you have your Bible, let's turn to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, honored, privileged to get to be here with you today. Uh, I was telling um, one of your faculty members, when I get on campus, I just start smiling. You know, I just love this place, love this campus. Your president's personal friend. Uh, just before I got up, he sent me a text so he could help me panic just before I got up to speak. To let me know he's watching me and uh, doesn't want me to mess up. So uh, Dr. Aiken has been a very dear and trusted friend. And Southeastern's, we talk about it being... Uh, joined at the hip with the International Mission Board. And in my role, uh, various roles at the International Mission Board started off as vice president overseas. Whenever I was confronted with a need on the field, uh, when I was in Cuba and came out of Cuba and I was concerned about the need for deeper theological education and contacted Dr. Aiken and I just said, you know, why we could sure use some help in Cuba. And he said, we'll send a vision team to see what we can do immediately jumped into it and that's been the spirit of this campus and so it's a real privilege and honor to be here and I'm so thankful for you who are here preparing and equipping yourself for whatever purpose God has in your life I've just returned from a trip to Zimbabwe last Thursday and uh, coming out of that I could have gone anywhere in the world and had the same feeling that the time is urgent Time is urgent. God is doing something unprecedented in Christian history today. He's calling people from the nations, placing a burden in their hearts. And that burden is this. I want to be a part of making sure everyone on our planet who is lost will hear the gospel at least once in their life. I was in West Africa, Francophone countries, discussing that issue, forming a mission-sending agency to address the need. I was talking to leaders from Nigeria. The Nigerian Baptist Convention has over 200 foreign missionaries. I was uh, on the island of Cuba. Today, Cuban Baptists have sent out missionaries to the nations. We met with the Underground House Church in China several different occasions. The numbers of those three networks we meet with, over 60 million people, each one over 20 million in size. What's their vision? We want to learn how to equip and send out 100,000 missionaries. Brazil historically sends missionaries, Korea historically sending missionaries, the island of Palau joining and sending out missionaries to join us in this great pursuit of the lost. You're living in an urgent day. I hope today, as I share from this passage, that in some way the Lord will just impress this in your heart, that the day is urgent. So if you're in Romans chapter 1, I'm going to read in verse 13, and this is what it says. Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I propose to come unto you, but was let or prevented up until now. 
that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. And I shared with the media guys, I wanted to read this in the King James Version because of this verse and the word that is translated here. Verse 14, I'm a debtor, both to the Greeks, to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise, so as much as in me is, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes it, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. My wife Leanne is here with us. Next month on September 17th, we'll be married 40 years. Thank you. And I don't know, you look at an old gray-headed guy like me and this beautiful young woman and ask yourself, how did that happen? And I just caught her at the right time. She'd been a journeyman in South Africa during the years of apartheid teaching in an African high school. And we had a policy at that time, still do, but it's violated many times, that journeymen are not to date during their course of their two years. And she was at Glorieta, New Mexico for debriefing, and I caught her at a desperate moment, you know, and uh, happened to be in the right place at the right time. A year later, we were married. A year later, we were on the mission field at our second wedding anniversary in language school. This beautiful lady uh, has had five kids, four live births, and three girls born in South Africa, our son born in our village clinic, in a never-to-be-repeated experience. And uh, we started off on the backside of the Kalahari Desert in a village 200 miles from the nearest paved road. Uh, isolated, summertime hot. We'd go up into the hundred and teens in the shade, living in a concrete blockhouse with a tin roof on it. It was hot. The spiritual soil in the village was difficult. Sometimes I'd had an image in my mind of carrying a pickaxe on my shoulder, going out to face a granite mountain and just hoping I might hit one shot and get one little chip off that day. And we were lonely. And there were times I was discouraged to go to my office to kind of sit and pray and ask the Lord what I was doing there. And my pattern that I had seen was given to me by my parents, who were both medical doctors, mom a pediatrician, dad a GP, who pioneered a medical work in the country of Zimbabwe. I was delivered in a bush hospital in the middle of five boys. I saw my parents live out their career many times under difficult circumstances. So my vision was to go to my own Botswana, live, serve, and if God so chose, to die in that place. So when I wasn't seeing much responsiveness, the question came to my heart, Lord, is this my lot in life? Is this what I'm supposed to do the rest of my career? Is go out on a granite mountain and try to bust a chip off and see some spiritual fruit? And honestly, I would think sometimes, especially in the middle of the summertime, doesn't the IMB need missionaries in uh, Switzerland? Or how about Hawaii? Wouldn't that be nice? Join North American Mission Board. And I wondered to myself, what was it when I think about, if you know Paul, when he wrote his litany of his career as a missionary and his experiences in 2 Corinthians 11, do you remember what he said? He said, uh, I've been beaten times without number. He said, five times I've been whipped with the 40 lashes minus one. He said, I've been hungry, I've been cold, I've been lonely, I've been isolated, I've been shipwrecked. I mean, does it sound like he was having a good time? 
And I remember thinking to myself, but you know what? There's something that stands out about the Apostle Paul. In spite of that opposition, he pressed on in his calling. I mean, he, he gets stoned and left for dead. What does he do? He gets up, says goodbye to the church there, and heads to the next place. And I thought to myself, you know, what kept him going? What was his motivation in his calling? That word motivation is an interesting word. And growing up in uh, Zimbabwe one morning, I was sitting on the porch watching my elderly brother run and jump a ditch in the yard that they had dug to lay water pipes so mom could have running water in the house. They hadn't covered it over yet, and he jumps this ditch to see if he can make a long, longer and longer jump. And he finally makes a really good jump, and he yells at me under the porch, hey, I bet you can't jump as far as I did. Well, he's about a foot taller than me at that time. But, you know, I feel challenged, middle boy. So I push off from the wall of the house, sprinting as hard as my little body can run. And just as I'm about to get to the ditch to make my, my effort to jump, uh, he yells, snake! And I look down, and sure enough, there's an Egyptian banded cobra that had been crawling in the base of the ditch. And from our angle, we didn't see it until he kicked some dirt on it on his last jump. And it has come up out of the ditch and is hooded to see what's going on. Now, listen, it's too late to stop. <laughs> I look down and see that snakehead out of that ditch. And when I took off from the ground, not only did I beat his jump, I beat him by about three inches. <laughs> now, what was the difference? Motivation. That's exactly right. Well, that's what the Apostle Paul is describing here in this verse, and it helped me because he says, the thing that is motivating me to preach the gospel in Rome is a debt. I feel like I owe a debt. I'm a debtor. I owe something. Why did he feel that? Well, you know, in the latter part of his career, he wrote and said, you know how I see myself? You know how I view myself? He said, I'm the chiefest of sinners. The older he got, the worse he looked to himself. I can tell you this about old Gordon Fort. I can identify with that. I know in my heart, if I was left to my own devices, I'd have messed this thing up so badly. But praise be to God, he saved me. And you know, because he saved me, I have a debt to pay. I have a feeling that if you're a believer here in chapel today, you also have a debt to pay. Let me tell you why that's important. When we were in my own Botswana, a friend of mine was near a tribe called the Kalanga people. They'd never had a missionary witness in their 110 years of mission service in our country, sandwiched up there between Botswana and Zimbabwe, about 250,000 tribesmen. A friend of mine in the capital city had come from that tribe, and while he was in school, heard the gospel and got saved and had a burden for his people. And so one time at a rally, he said, would you go with me sometime to my home village and help me share the gospel with my people? We've never had a missionary witness. And we made an appointment when he was, uh, had some free time in the capital city, and we met on the road, and we, in my truck, headed into the bush uh, to go to the Paramount Chief's village. And we're camping out in the forest and got up in the morning to go meet the chief and get his permission to be there. As we're walking through the woods, off to my left, in the, uh, off the trail, they had cut out a section of brush 
to make a cow pen that they could use to milk the cows in the morning and in the evening. And there was a lady kneeling in the muck of that cow pen, offside of the cow, milking the cow, watching us from underneath the belly of the cow. And I felt a prick in my heart. I said, Benjamin, I feel like we should go share the gospel with that lady over there. My friend Benjamin said, Pastor, look, she's probably just an ignorant peasant from this village up here. She'll be embarrassed if we go over there, but, and also we're strangers, she might be afraid. Let's just go see the chief first. So I agreed, and we walked a little further, and I happened to glance back one more time, and she was still watching us. And so I said, Benjamin, I feel like we need to share the gospel with her. What do you think? And he said, Pastor, she's probably just an ignorant village woman from up here. But if you want to try, okay. I said, well, look, call out a greeting in Kalanga so she knows that at least you're from here. Obviously, I wasn't. And uh, so we turn aside. Benjamin calls out a greeting in Kalanga. She stands up, comes out from behind the cow. We get to the edge of the cow pen, and I said, Benjamin, ask her if I could share my story today. So he talks to her a minute. She agrees. So as she is standing there watching Benjamin, I share a simple truth of the gospel. He translates it for me. And as I'm watching this woman, I see the Spirit of God begin to open her understanding to the truth of this message. You know what I love about the gospel? It's not complicated. It's profound. But it's honestly not a complicated message. And the Spirit of God began to open her understanding. And when I got through, I said to Benjamin, Benjamin, ask her if today she would like to put her faith and trust in Jesus Christ to turn repent of her sin and trust him. He talks for a minute and she agrees. So there in this, she's in the cow pen, he translates, prays with her, puts her faith and trust in Jesus, as far as we know, amongst the first of the Kalanga women to come to faith. When she says amen, she looks up from talking to Benjamin, looks at me, and then she begins to talk to me in fluent English. Now, honestly, Students, I thought it's a miracle. <laughs> whoa! You know, we missionaries were always looking for this. Wow! I'm just like, whoa! You know? <laughs> and then she goes on to say, says, I know you don't know who I am, but she said, I have a master's degree from the University of Oklahoma. I'm the chief instructor at the teacher's training college. She said, I'm home helping my family, happened to be out here working and helping with the chores today. She made this statement. I knew when you saw me in this cow pen, you would think I was just an ignorant peasant woman. And I said to myself, if what those two strangers have to say is so important, they would turn aside to share it with me. It must be the truth. Mavis became a leading worker in our work in Botswana. But why did I tell you the story? Because here's the essence of the question. Why isn't it up to us to decide who gets the gospel, and who doesn't. Why don't we get to pick and choose as we drive down the streets of Wake Forest or Raleigh-Durham and look at the faces around us and say, well, that one looks like someone might deserve the gospel. No, this one here, I don't think so. Or it's not convenient. Why don't, why don't we get to do that? Why isn't it up to us? Because, brothers and sisters, that's not how God treated you. Are you here on this campus and you're trying to say to yourself, God is so lucky to have me on his team? Or is there anyone in here who would say, Brother Gordon, if you knew my testimony, 
I was sinking deep in sin. I wasn't close to the peaceful shore. I was far from the peaceful shore. I didn't have just a little bit of stain. I was very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. But the master of the seas, he heard my despairing cry. From the waters he lifted me and now safe am I. And today you're a trophy of the grace of God. And you know it in your heart. You have a debt to pay. Well, that was the motivation of this apostle in the great pursuit of the lost. He said, I have a debt to pay. But what I love about this, this text is not only does he say, you know, I, I, I'm a debtor, but I love that next verse because he says, I, I am eager. He says, as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are in Rome also. I mean, this guy... It's like if you show him a little crack in the door, he is, he is accelerating through it. And he has a heart for God for those who are lost. Uh, I, I was walking in our village one day, and I saw a man sitting under a shade tree on an upturned paint bucket, and it was kind of far off in thought. And so I, I, I felt prompted to go by. So I greeted him in Setsuana. He invited me to come in, went and sat down by him. And this man said, I'm glad you came to see me today. He said, in Setsuana, he said, there's a question that's like a spear stabbing me in my chest. He said, last night I couldn't sleep because I don't know the answer to this question. I said, well, well, what is that question? He said, well, I'm not from your village. He said, I'm from the capital city, and I'm here for the funeral of my best friend. And during the washing of the tears, when the community gathers to share grief with the family, he said, last night I was sitting in the courtyard of my friend where they had brought the casket out so that the community could share the grief of the family. He said, I was looking at my friend's casket, and he said, this question stabbed me in my chest. If I had been in the casket instead of my friend, where would I be? He said, I don't know the answer to that question. Now, brothers and sisters, if you had been sitting there in my place, what is the opportunity that has just been presented. I mean, is that a wide open door or what? What would the Apostle Paul have done if he had been in my shoes? What would he have done? I mean, he would have driven that freight truck straight through that question, right? And he would have called this man to repentance in Jesus Christ, to put his faith and trust in him, to explain the plan of salvation, because he was ready to preach the gospel. Well, that's exactly the opportunity I had. And in kind of my broken Setswana, we were newly there. I was trying to get through that, but explain the gospel to this gentleman. And as he heard it, here's the wonderful thing for us. We are ambassadors of Christ. Brothers and sisters, you have the highest calling in the world, the greatest privilege in the world, to be an ambassador of the Most High King, the Lord Jesus, to represent him, to proclaim him, to declare him, uh, to make him known amongst the nations. Does he not deserve to be known in every place on this planet? Does the creator not deserve the glory and praise from the creation that he made? Is it not our privilege to go and declare this good news of the gospel? Because that's what the apostle did. And there under that tree, I had this 
opportunity to share the simple truth of the gospel. Now, that guy did ask me something I'd never been asked any place before or since. He said, this is a message I've been waiting to hear all my life. He said, but I have one other question. He said, can a politician be saved? <laughs> Honestly, I've never been asked that before. And I'm saying, why do you ask me that? He said, I'm the leading opposition party member in the Botswana politics. And he said, you know, here in Africa, we have a saying, politics is a dirty game. Now, my mama told me in Louisiana, that's the same thing there too. But, uh, you know, I said, yes. And he said, you know, in my career, I've done some pretty bad things. Can God forgive me? Brothers and sisters, isn't it great to know that he paid your debt? I mean, I had a debt I couldn't pay. I mean, I was, I had so offended the holiness and justice of God. I could not spend 10,000 years serving him long enough to pay back my debt. But praise be to God, the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross paid old Gordon Ford's debt. Well, that politician put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I didn't know if I'd ever see him again, but uh, about three or four months later, I was at the paved road before turning to go to our village and stopped at the gas station, and, and this truck pulls up next to mine at the gas pump, and it was a truck with the opposition party in their yellow regalia chanting their political slogans, and this guy was in the front seat. He looked over and saw me, got out of the truck, came around. He said, do you remember me? I said, yes, we met up in my village. How are you? And he said, I just want you to know. I've just come from one of our political rallies. And when I open our rallies, the first thing I tell the people is what Jesus means to me. That's the power of the gospel. You know why Paul said, I'm not ashamed? He knew the power of his message. You know, in the places I've been in the world and the venues where I've shared, I, I cannot tell you how much confidence it gives me knowing that, Gordon, this is not your message. You don't have a message that has any power. This is his message. And the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is a powerful message. The Bible calls it the euangelion, the good news. Uh, last week, uh, I was in Johannesburg at 3 in the morning when I got a FaceTime call. 3.30 in the morning in Johannesburg. I answered the FaceTime call, and there was the bright face of my baby girl, Lizzie. And she was holding her hand out like that because she had a sparkly diamond on her finger. That's good news. Her daddy had a shouting time. The next morning when I went to the breakfast restaurant, I'm in Africa. Let me tell you about Africans. They love good news. They love it. And I come to the restaurant. There's two African ladies standing there. I said, ladies, I need to share some good news with y'all. I showed them a picture of my daughter and her fiancé. And they start calling other staff members to come over to share the good news. 
I get to the uh, airport to catch my last flight into Zimbabwe, and I'm walking down to this store, you know, and, and I'm, I see a lady there, and I met Audrey, and I said, Audrey, I need to share some good news with you today. In Africa, when we have good news, we share that good news. Audrey's just all into it, and just met a wonderful Christian woman, a woman of faith, godly woman. In fact, I went, when I went back through a week later almost, I went by to see Audrey again to share the gospel with her. Friends, we have the greatest good news in all the world. Our sins have been forgiven. Our debt has been paid. We've been born again. And God has put his Holy Spirit into our lives to empower us to live out this Christian life. We have a Lord who said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Go and pronounce the glorious good news of the kingdom. Jesus has come. Oh, friends, today around the world, open doors everywhere for the gospel. My prayer is you prepare here. God will show you your spot on this geography, on this planet. And wherever that spot is, you'll occupy it until he comes again. In that place, you will be a faithful witness to the Lord Jesus Christ, declaring his kingdom and seeking those who are lost in this great pursuit of those who've never heard about him. And my prayer is that God would richly, richly bless you and the work of your hands. As you prepare here, he would make you ready to proclaim his name. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Consider giving to Southeastern Seminary online or visiting us for a preview day. For information on how to give or sign up for a preview day, visit scbts.edu.